Emily and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. All right, hands up. Who didn't see this one coming? Damar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest in the middle of a football game. He's currently in critical condition. Now, a month ago, when you had the phony controversy about Kyrie Irving, Skip Bayless's voices behind was leading the charge. You'll recall that he infamously called the fascist-friendly Joseph Tsai, who is merely the owner of an NBA franchise license. He called him Kyrie Irving's owner. For Kyrie, once again, it's worst. It's not just wrong place, wrong time. It's worst place, worst time. And obviously, his owner condemned him. These sports team franchise owners are as racist as the day is long. And I'm not just talking about the white ones. Anti-black racism is literally the open policy of these so-called sports leagues. It was only 18 months ago that the NFL said it would stop its cynically named race norming policy, which says that the league should assume black athletes have lower cognitive abilities. That way, whenever a black athlete makes a medical claim due to a head injury, the league can just say, well, he's automatically mentally deficient anyway, so you can't really prove that he's been hurt at all, not to our satisfaction. When it comes to black people, these anti-black races make it a point to deny when we've been injured or to openly mock us when it occurs. Black women have the highest maternal mortality rate in the country, and they don't die at hospitals. They die after they get home, usually after they spend days trying to get some racist with a medical degree to accept that they're in pain or otherwise in medical distress. Black patients are routinely denied painkillers, no matter what condition they're in. Black people receive far less pain medication than patients of other races. And this is not because they don't know that black people are suffering. It's because the bastards take a perverted glee in black people's suffering. Keep in mind, this is the same NFL that the white right and even casual racists, so-called moderates, try to tell black people qualifies as reparations because they got a few black ball players a league that black people own no teams in and which until just 18 months ago had an open policy saying that black athletes are inherently inferior to white ones. This is the league that so many anti-black racists try to claim black men control or that black men run the NFL, etc. At last report, Damar Hamlin is still in critical condition. His family is obviously watching this all very closely. So into the middle of all this suffering waddles Skip Bayless, who decides now would be a great time to do a hot take on how the NFL ought to be more gladiatorial and the show must go on over the black players' dead bodies. Now, Skip Bayless is no fool, well, not a total fool anyway. He knew exactly what he was tweeting, and he put that blatantly insincere disclaimer at the end as a CYA move. That's sprinkling sugar on crap, and he knows it, and everyone else knows it, too. Uh, I haven't really spoke on this uh, Skip Bayless situation because I wanted to see if he had any remorse um, after what he said Monday. So, you know, when people say, you know, read the whole tweet, he said the game was irrelevant. He knew he had to put that at the end of the book. He was saying, hoping that we had seen through the book. I truly felt was his original first sentence. That's how he really felt. But he's very intelligent, and he knew that if he put, you know, somehow this game seems irrelevant now, that some people wouldn't see through his bullshit and, and, and arrogance and, and blatant disrespect.
Perkins also called Bayless out on Twitter, and even inside Fox Sports Studios, there's fierce opposition. No less than Shannon Sharp was apparently missing from his and Bayless's show after Bayless posted that tweet. Bayless went on air alone and gave a rambling, self-serving screed where he tried to play the victim. And the white media tries to make it sound like he apologized. Give Bayless issues an apology. That's a lie. He didn't apologize at all. All they did was just some classic white splaining. And considering how sanctimonious <coughs> up on his high horse he was about Kyrie Irving, who didn't say anything. Oh, Kyrie Irving's part of a billion-dollar organization, the NBA. Yeah, well, Skip, Bayless works for a billion-dollar company, Fox. And he's all about what he was saying. He didn't feel as if he needed to retract anything or make any sort of statement. So the hypocrisy is on full display. And yeah, it's always racial. Now, Shannon Sharp has since been on the show afterwards, but clearly he wishes that he hadn't come back. Good morning, yeah, morning. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation of why I wasn't on air yesterday, and I won't get into speculation or conjecture or innuendo, but I will say this. Watching that game on Monday night, uh, what happened to DeMar Hamlin struck me a little different. Uh, as a brotherhood in the NFL, when injuries happen, when we know injuries are a part of the game, I've seen guys suffer ACLs and Achilles tear, but I've never seen anybody have to be revived and fight for their life on the field. So it struck me a little differently because I remember seeing my brother paralyzed on the field temporarily, and he was able to reclaim focus. Um, Skip tweeted something, and although I disagree with the tweet, uh, and, and uh, hopefully uh, Skip will take it down, but I didn't want it. Well, yeah. Time out. Time out. I'm not going to take it down because okay. I stand by what I tweeted. Skip. Let me okay. Go on. Okay. Go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead. Let's go, Jen. Okay. I mean, I cannot even get through a monologue without you interrupting. Okay. Well, you could have came back, Skip. Well, I thought, Skip, just let me know what I was going to bring up. No, I was just going to say, Skip, I didn't want to yesterday to get into a situation where DeMar Hamlin was the issue. We should have been talking about him and not get into, the, not get into your, uh, your tweet. That's what I was going to do. But you can't even let me finish my opening monologue without you interrupting, okay? I was under the impression you weren't going to bring this up because nobody here had a problem with that tweet. No. Clearly, the bosses wanted you to offer explanation. So clearly, so no, they did not have it. Nobody. Let's go, Jim. Thoughts and prayers remain with Tamar Hamlin. That's where the focus should have been. And not on the football game. Yes, let's go, Jim. Thank you. Shannon Sharp used to be in the NFL. Shannon Sharp is an actual pro athlete. Skip Bayless, all he does is just watch him on TV. Up until this point, Shannon Sharp has played nice with Bayless. He towed all the lines that the white media wanted him to, especially in regards to Kyrie Irving. Sure, Shannon Sharp began to walk it back when it became clear that Kyrie had public support and it was safe to question the white media narrative. Shannon Sharp also did his part to help embolden the pylon of Kyrie Irving in the first place. Shannon wanted to do what a lot of these Negroes in the white media do, 
prove that he's totally willing to criticize black people and draw false equivalences. That way he can show that he can speak truth to power. Oh, this is going to show how objective I am. When in fact, it simply shows that you're kowtowing to real power because the black community doesn't have any. It doesn't take courage to attack and assail the poorest and least politically influential people in the country. Black people don't have the ability to leverage any sort of consequences against anyone for coming at us or harming us or harming our interests, no matter how brave the offense. When Jerry Jones was caught out having taken part in protesting black students back in the 1950s, you didn't see the same energy at all. Naturally, nobody was trying to strip the Cowboys franchise of their corporate endorsements. Nobody was saying that they wouldn't do business with Jerry Jones or the Cowboys. Nobody was saying that he had to resign or be forced out of the league, make him sell the team. All Jerry Jones had to do was to say that he wasn't protesting the black students at that school. Why, this is just a young man who was curious. That's all I see. Now, notice that he didn't say, I was just curious. He said, well, it looks to me like, I just see a young man who was curious. Yeah, he was just curious about the new kids in school. Pull my other leg, why don't you? But the white media on cue said, okay, you were just curious, nothing to see here. Everyone knew exactly why Jerry Jones was getting a pass for having taken part in a historical disgrace. But white power sees him as a hero because of what he did then and what he continues to do all the way up to the present. Yes, the rules are completely different when it's not a black person we're talking about. But understand that Bayless isn't alone. A lot, in fact, most of the sports commentators that you see are just like him. These are the chumps who weren't tough enough to be in sports. These are the hacks who washed out early. They wind up going on TV running their mouths because they weren't strong enough to run with a ball. They didn't accomplish what their black counterparts did, so as they see it, they could excoriate and run them into the ground from behind a microphone. And then you have the punks like Skip Bayless and other weaklings who were never athletic to begin with. They weren't even athletic washouts. These clowns are only good at running their mouths, but they see it as their job to show how tough they are with their garbage takes. Hell, even Jim Rome, who nobody would call a class act, said that the game should have been canceled and that the only problem he had was that it took the NFL so long to cancel the game. Skip Bayless knows that the scum at Fox Sports aren't gonna do anything to punish him, and that's why they hired him. A lot of other dweebs and anti-black racists, they'll be delighted by his blatant callousness, that's what they come for. When they complain about things like athletes getting paid big contracts, to them that's their past to gripe about black prosperity by proxy. They think that they can do that going after black athletes and it gives them the ability to attack the black community by proxy without being called racist. But of course, you never hear these people whining about major league baseball players, most of whom are either white or Hispanic, getting paid big dollars. And they would never make a peep against people like David Beckham when he got hundreds of millions of dollars playing soccer. This when the man was over the hill and way past his prime, but still getting hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts. It's only when black men are getting some money that suddenly we start hearing this rhetoric about overpaid athletes. These athletes are getting too much money. Did they really earn that? Are they really worth that much? A lot of you are no doubt into sports, and you probably wonder why I don't care about sports at all. Things like this are exactly the reason why. I have no respect for white supremacy or its institutions, and these sports leagues are part of those institutions. Now, the heat on Skip Bayless hasn't died down as yet. 
Will Shannon Sharp quit? Who knows? But even if Bayless left tomorrow, there's plenty of other undercover racists waiting to take his place. These scumbags do what they know their white supremacist paymasters will allow them to do. Who do you think puts them up to it in the first place? Who do you think eggs them on? Now, what needs to happen is for these black athletes to finally call foul on this mess. I know that they're scared of the white media in general because, after all, these are the people who they want to see in the good graces of because a lot of them want to be sports commentators when their pro-athlete careers are over. But they got to make a choice. And that means making it known that they won't deal with any outlets who have people like Skip Bayless in their employ. If these athletes make it clear that Bayless and his network are persona non grata, that would send a message to everyone that the days of tolerating these scrawny, pencil-necked racist punks with a chip on their bony shoulders to talk trash about their betters is over. The Skip Baylesses need those black athletes, not the other way around. If Bayless got fired, they would have him replaced before the next commercial break. Would you let those black athletes stop dealing with these racist scum on these networks? How do you replace that? Now, on the other hand, if these black athletes, even at this late date, are still not going to start getting tough with these racists in the white media, then the $40 million slaves might as well just start calling the Skip Baylesses Massa and be done with it. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. John Womack, Latoya Holloway, Noel Williams, C. Hamilton Properties, and Rashad Marsh. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I gotta go because every time we speak, I, I, I always stand on this box. I stand on this box as a young man who was dating a young lady who was well endowed. And I had an opportunity to come back to America after spending multiple years overseas. And, and I, and she is, our custom was, if you want to get close to the pool nanny family, you take them to the movie, but you take them to a movie that you, you perceive that they don't like, so you can fill a full of junk food and then sneak them out so you don't have to feed them much before you take them out to dinner. <laughs> gang, recognized gang, baby. It's a contact sport. So, it's <laughs> ended. Right, so we go see Martin we go see uh, Malcolm X, right? And they had a scene of Malcolm X and Al Sharpton appeared in there, and everybody was on their soapbox talking about the critical issue of Black America in uh, New York outside Mosque Number Seven. It was a beautiful scene. Uh, it was like a Gordon Park shot. It, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I remember that. It was. It was absolutely. But, but that's, 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 that's the Manhattan I grew up in, man. You know, that's, yeah. that, that's what I'm used to yeah. seeing from a toddler in a daggone uh, 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 stroller. You see, mm -hmm. that that's that's my root, that kind of flavor. Even after Malcolm was shot and assassinated, that flavor went on for a couple of years, man, in the neighborhood. And so I grew up into that. That's what I know is reality. I got out. I got opportunity to experience it for a couple of years. And it, it was, it was very moving conversation. The people, the intellect, yeah. how things in the period of time where that they didn't believe people had political intellect, uh, 
it was like talking to Ozzy Davis 30 hours a week, every day, talking to Ruby D and talking to Mo, talking to the Jordan Party. It was just overwhelming, the conversation, the chess game. The boy was always hot. These are the things that make me enlightened. These are the things that most young men need to get out there. If, if, you, if you're in an environment uh, and you're scared of the world, then find your tractor trailer and ride, and ride the tractor trailer. You'll be a truck driver for a while. You'll learn more about America and it will mold you. But if yep. you don't believe you have anything to offer. I took my first road trip on the ground, but made me take one. My mama, she was game for it too. <laughs> it's always funny how women want you to do it back in the day. And they all used to do it, they sent a boy for the summer. But this one was different. I went on the 18 wheel for three months, and you have to work your way across, sleep in the cab. Like being in the Navy. A little claustrophobic at times, but it's a great experience. Yeah. And I and I used to write, so it was an experience to write about. Things like that, more young black men given an opportunity. It's just it's just like you could compare it to you ever seen Yeller? No. Remember Yeller? Well, I remember it, but I, never, I don't recall it. It, it was uh, uh, Dave Winfield, Timothy uh, Tyson. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the young boy's name. He took the great journey after his father. His family was hungry. They didn't kill his son. Uh, they shot up all the ammunition. And his family went on so hungry, but this has already been the story of most black men. It, from time to time in America, no, all the time in American history. If this child looks hungry, you better watch it. He's going to lay you down and going to empty your pocket. I, I'm just going to keep it real. I'm not going to, if you believe in the survival of the fittest and the jungle and the jungle book and all that, all that, Mr. Charlie, put that, put that flavor in your ear, then I'm trying to tell you. That that's a black man, uh, the Afro American, he may consider it, but he gonna do it sloppy, so he gonna go to jail. But the black man, if he gonna get you for the chain to feed his children, trust me, he ain't going to jail. That's real American. American, he'll make it all sloppy, he'll make it look like a movie video. The police are having all up against the rhythm, and they're telling us the wildest, I smell weed. <laughs> he goes it's just mad it's just mad it's just mad but when it comes down to feed uh feeding one's children feeding hungry and his father uh did that uh, but the young man had to make a journey uh to go to the prison because he had not heard from his father and his mother was deeply concerned so they prayed the 1930s, 
and 1930 is 1930. But when it's 1930 in rural Alabama. Oh, man. That's not, that, that's not, that's right. <laughs> and then 1930, that's like the world. They made three, no, that's day three steps from reading the home address in Chichapur or the cave wall. That's how close they are. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so so he had to make this journey and everything, and he makes the journey and he goes through trials and tribulations. What if he's outside? He's high from white folks. There's no white folks don't like black. You know, they got sundown towns, and all day was sundown because he's the wrong coat. So he had to hide everything, anywhere, food. It, 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 it was such a Negro spiritual. And, but, he, but he made his way in a rainy storm. Uh, to this house, it wasn't a house, it was a school, and, and, and it was a young lady in there, and she seen that he was a young man, and he was down upon his way, and he was wet, and he was cold, and he was hungry, malnourished, and tired, and he had to put on his stand, and she took him into the home, but he was fascinated by books, he was fascinated by the written word, he was fascinated by the smell, the texture, and the cover of the book. He, he came and go to the point that he ignored the fact that he was wet. But he was captivated by the possibility of what was in those books. Growing up in, in a time where I did what we had books was an escape. If you were a black child and you were part of intellectual power in America. So you cherished books more than other children. You remember the days of the love of the G.I. Joe, the love of Home the Twister, the love of Twister Operation. And the Trouble. Trouble. No, those were right. Monopoly. Uh, uh, the electronic. Right, all of that. Those. Now, I don't know about that. I was born. If my mama got mad, she might get a hold to the racetrack strip. But. Oh, God. <laughs> In this, this was the period of time, this young man, this was way back when black people didn't have accessibility books. We talk about rural Alabama, where individuals take time from sun up to sun down, that they got some old dangle, you know, some other time, however they classify it, nickel colleges wants to get nickel. Uh, uncle Tom was putting cotton and the other ones to keep mad. And then they shift it over from the day laborers, the sharecropper, which they side down. These were the times. And this was America. This part of America existed. He made the journey to his father. They still had a family structure in America that warned that much loyalty, that much longing, that much desire. That was in the 1930s. We're in 2023. And the family structure is down there, non existent, other than the privileged class, we call it the middle class. And even in that portion of Black America, it's dysfunctional. 
It's a damn shame. <laughs> no, it's not a shame. It's, it's just like I spoke during our conversation <laughs> that even though I'm not a fond of any religious I'm not. The spoken word is sufficient enough for me. I don't need some idol. But the spoken word must be of wisdom and understanding of the circumstance. And his speech, I sent it to you, and I urge you to listen to it. And it makes all the sense. It is to be clear. But to speak upon it is to say, okay, it's no doubt. You don't have to beat me. You don't have to uh, tell me twice. I got it the first time. I see it just like you see it. It's a hard acceptance. And when you listen to him and you've been far removed, because uh, sometimes it's hands-on is only what's suggested by the media. But like Mr. Charlie say, boots on the ground say, uh, we sick, master, we, we sick. That's what boots on the ground say. And we have very, 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 very few options. That's how bad things are. We have very few options. But the only choice that we have is segregation. And that's our, like everything else, like the Berlin Wall, like Jim Crow, like, um, affordable housing, <laughs> these things have to pass. They, they, they go by the wayside. We're not saying the right of choice to be removed with stating that it's time for voluntary segregation. It's time for voluntary segregation. And in this, we have to do it in the most hateful manner. Just, just for self-survival, just self-defense. Because, like I said at the beginning, there, there are already been execution. And I'm going to call them for what they are and say, well, he was a madman, this and this. They, not only he killed but the other officers went like an armed mob in the display of a reality TV to send some form of a camaraderie message to America that if you kill the police, even though you think you're going to go and go and turn yourself in or you're going to escape or you believe that we're going to take that TV that before you get to that point, we're going to kill you. Because it, it may be some question about the credibility of that officer. 
that's where we at. That's the escalation in America when it becomes the police brutality and the participation of the law fraternity of law enforcement and its union, unwillingness to do more bending of those who are allowed to come in their union, that they're not more aggressive background checks given to those and psychological evaluation of those who belong to that union, that we have knowledge for the last three years that these unions have integrated our police force, that these unions have created with their lawyers, which they have rights, but no one has the right to legislate from that position of enforcement. No one entity, no one body, even though the collective bargaining agreement allows equal protection, should be allowed to have that much power. If so, what do they need their sovereign immunity for if they have lawyers through their union? And if that is the case, why isn't the union not part of any third party liability when it comes down to the actions of their membership. <laughs> but I could debate the issue with any individual who wants to protect the rights of the society, wants to protect the rights of the officer. I'm not speaking of the officer. I'm speaking of the law fraternity of law enforcement union and its entity and how they should be held responsible in any liability that the city occur based upon the actions of their core membership. That's a very reasonable thing to imagine. I could or have a strict, or they have no participation in collective bargaining, and every police officer has either independent contract. That should have caught on more. What you're saying is true, but why don't people do that? You know, I mean, because it's easy. It's you. It's easier. It is convenient to live a fantasy. Do you understand? Okay. Okay, when we talk about the police, when we talk about the development of law enforcement within the United States as a whole, when we talk about black people, we're not talking about how the trans, how it changed over from uh, a willing Mr. Charlie, uh, I'm barely hanging on and I'm sheriff and I'm sitting in a can to I'm gonna give me some Irish and some Italian. And we just gonna rule, we're gonna move up the social ladder and then we just gonna steal from every goddamn body. That's the seven. 
but we live and we forget. And and they were killing then. They've been killing. They've been setting people up. At each and every incident, at each one of our political leaders, you always see somewhere in there a shadow of law enforcement and their participation in the execution. I mean, it's just a shadow. They just be hanging out. They're like a spook behind the dope. They they didn't do it like the police was there. No, no, they weren't there afterwards. They were there doing it. See what I'm saying? So, their control, their participation has developed and the black man and his participation, because we have, even in the city of Coco, we have some three officers who broke the color barrier and became black police officers. And they uh, made it through the snow. God bless the dead. In doing so, they had to do some things. And they participated in things, and they seen some things. But then, at the same time, the scale is never balanced because they did some good things, and they sacrificed, and they put their life on the line. But the scale will never be balanced based upon the negative things that other officers have done, those who have been careless in their oath, those who did not respect the blue line enough to walk the blue line. It's a different thing to be part of the blue line and to respect the blue line. But it's even a greater thing to walk the blue line. And that cannot be done. Now, some people say, well, that you have a lot of doubt. Like like I've spoken to people when I talk about racial profiling. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So if I... If I talk about doubt in racial profile, which I've done this before, and we look at it how to deal with the union, each and every one of these incidents has always been the same demographic of people. And other officers involved when other officers are put and it's led to be involved in these incidents, they're the same class. But they're two different races. This is serious. All you have to do is pay attention to the tape, watch the tape, and you'll start seeing mm-hmm. the offender is always the same race, same age, same makeup. The pet dog is always the same gender and the same color. You don't hear me. The pet dog, that lap puppy. You don't hear what I'm saying. That lap puppy. They canine. Female. See how nice I put that they can't have female? <laughs> in, other, in other languages, that would be that bitch. But that canine female. You slipped another one in. 
It is what it is, bro. The English language is a beautiful thing. It is. And when you're speaking to politicians and you try to get them to understand these are the issues that we're having with police brutality in America, they don't like the hard facts and the hard language of the people who are dealing with the issues of this brutality. And that brutality is not sweet, it's not cordial, it's not, you know, you don't have a me too moment, you don't have a post, you don't have a feeling police behind it, none of that. It has hurt, it has pain. It even has Freudian slip. They might even call you out your name. But there's no transgression in a person being angry, and they do not use the proper language to say, hey, they whooping my ass in the street. They draw blood and they shoot me in the back. They break up my sister and my mother. And they took the pregnant lady and threw her on her stomach and he wanted to kick the baby in the stomach too. No, it wasn't no accident. The dog didn't slip off the road. He just wanted to see if somebody bled the same color so he let the dog bite. Isolate the incident? It could be. Wanna sell me some other shit? Cause I would smoke that kind of shit. That's real talk, right? So they'll sit there and they'll see you, tell you, and they give you a long Twitter see it. It'd be very beautiful and uh, eloquent is the word. And you'll be so captivated by it if it draws tear and then your wife will say, and you'll say, nah, this ain't real. He just lying my dad's face. And they'll do it. And they'll do it with video aid, and they'll tell you fabrications of the law. Okay, and now they get to the point that they have their own separate country. That their loyalty is not to the Constitution, that they don't have to identify themselves, that if you can't read, then they just point to what's on their uniform. So you gonna switch shirts with your brother because you know white people treat you like that. I know that's racial profiling. They were free white in 21. They all weighed 180 some pounds and they got a girlfriend named Marge and they just happened to work for all the same police department. So that's racial profile. So these white officers wearing these uniforms, these clown outfits, because it's, it's becoming a clown each and every time that they point to their name shows you that we need to extend how much time they stay in the police academy. Okay? Because see, if you really think about whoever, do you have any nieces and nephews, small children? Yeah. You ever ask them how old they are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, in your perspective, what is their response? Well, it's like... Do they verbally? Yeah, yeah. That, like, do on. they do hands? Well, I mean, it, it depends on... See, the, this is my point. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This, this, is, this is the response I'm trying to tell you. When, you. when you're dealing with a child, which is clearly evident, 
Each and every time one of them officers just asked him to identify in the capacity of his professional performance, I read the manual too. And in, in, in that, he has to point to his shirt. I feel like I'm dealing with a child that can't indicate how old they are and they have to put up their finger. That's not that work. That don't work hand in hand to being somebody that seems confident to be administrating the law and using confident judgment. You got to be repetitive in what you're telling him. That's that's not like somebody got learning disability. Like somebody like was on the short bus. I'm not, I'm not making fun of handicapped people. I'm, not, I'm making fun of police. Because these states, and even though anyone, no one, especially general public, should spend any time being fixed, uh, viewing me, should take valuable time doing something else. But I find them fascinating because it's 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 the same grouping of people. Or am I misunderstanding what I'm looking at? No, no. They, they all have the same attitude. Right. And I and I'm not a trained medical uh what what are those I'm with Sandra over here. She could explain it better. And I have not heard from her. She could show where but I think she could really put hands on it. Uh she's uh she deals with the mind. She's very the woman is shot. Uh but she brought it to focus to me. And I started noticing it. And they all have the same makeup. They all have the same attitude. They all the same. And unfortunately, they may be worse racial profiling. They all the same color. Uh, most of the white guys all got receding hairline. Or uh, and I noticed that with the history. With the Hispanic guys, they all oh, want to. Um, they want to be a slick, tough guy. They want to show you how well they speak English. Yeah, <laughs> I speak English well enough for white man like me. <laughs> I'm more like you do. Yeah, they want their white man card. They ain't gonna get it. They ain't gonna get it. Okay. I was watching one take, and the white lady, they was at a resort. The Mexican guy was on the clock, right? He didn't speak English. Okay, cool. He ate the first. He won't be the last to no speak English. So he, he kicked up his feet on the porch where they paid to go to the hotel. I'm saying, okay, I'm seeing this, right? I ain't got no beef. I ain't even mad he got to pay but what four hundred a night. He may pay like fifty bucks for three, maybe pay. You understand what I'm saying? I ain't gonna hang on him. I'm not gonna be upset. I would be upset and maybe it's not culturally correct because there's a member of the black traditional caucus, uh, my Latino um functional expatriate, uh kicking off his shoes. Why don't people pay him four hundred some dollars a night? Now, 